You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Happy or contemplative Memorial Day weekend. Uh, glad that you are here to join us this, this, uh, this morning. I guess it's morning still. Yeah, it is still morning. Uh, Benny, thanks for, for the music. It made me remember some of my more charismatic Pentecostal days um, where there was like IHOP, not like International uh, House of Pancakes, but International House of Prayer uh, in Kansas City. Christians are so good with their little nicknames, aren't they? Always stealing things from the secular world. Um, and it made me think about that because some of the stuff you were doing was like very reminiscent of that time and, and those songs that they did then. Speaking of the charismatic Pentecostal world, uh, thinking about the way in which I grew up in my vein of, of charismatics or charismaniacs as they called some of us, um, it's kind of interesting that we, we believed that you would accept Jesus Christ into your heart and then you would get baptized by water and then you'd have a separate experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when I was six years old, I had gone through those first two steps, and my grandmother sat me down and read this book to me uh, about receiving the Holy Spirit. And I don't remember this very well at all, uh, but my grandma tells me the story back that she read this book to me, and then after she read this book to me, anytime she would listen into the playroom, I would be in there talking to the Holy Spirit. And I know, isn't that so sweet? First service, like, cringed when I said that. I'm teasing. And I'm glad that you guys said, ah. And I thought it was so sweet uh, to, to think about that thought for me for many reasons. Um, I think when I, early part of my faith, I did really believe that, like, oh, that was the moment that I received the Holy Spirit. But as I've recalibrated my faith, um, I've actually come to see that that was not the moment for me that I believe I received the Holy Spirit, but it's just the moment that I realized the Holy Spirit was always with me. And that the Spirit was someone that I could talk to and that I would comfort me and that I knew was there for me. And although maybe some of the things from my charismatic faith background um, make me uncomfortable now to sometimes think about and things that happen there, um, there are things about it and the gift of the Spirit and the realization of it that have been extremely comforting that I didn't realize I would need over the following decades after that book was read to me at six years old. Um, one of, those, one of those being that my father, as I've shared before, he really struggles with substance and alcohol abuse. And we would go from living with my grandmother to him getting his own place. And then once he'd get in trouble with the law or going on like a really long binge, we'd lose our place. And then we'd go back to be with my grandma. And there was sort of this back and forth from like, you know, my, my young five to like eight years old. And for the times when my dad and I would have our own place, we would often share the same bed and we'd get into bed at night, go to sleep, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night to find that he was gone. And I would wander around the apartment in the dark, like trying to find my dad. And I would realize that he wasn't gone, that he had gone to the bar. And, you know, this kid filled with, with like so much fear and anxiety and the, the house full with so much darkness and silence. The silence was the scariest part. I would run back upstairs, I would climb in the bed and I would pull the sheets all over my head and I would just start talking to the Holy Spirit until I could finally fall asleep. I was comforted enough to know that I wasn't alone, I wasn't alone, I wasn't alone, even though physically I was very much alone. And as I got older a little bit, I realized another season of my life when I was really grateful to have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit in my life as a comforter. 
Um, I had spent through my time through college living on a floor with 30 guys on a dorm floor, and I went from that sort of strong community world to living all alone in a five-bedroom parsonage six hours away in Kentucky near none, none of my friends and family in Chicagoland. And at that point in my life, I was very much focused on I'm going to be single and celibate. That's how I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a, as a gay man, and I'm not going to act on this. And I can remember that house being so, so quiet and so empty. All the pastors before me had many children and filled that apartment and filled that, that parsonage, but I was never going to fill it. And the reality that I would never fill it sat with me, and the silence in it was deafening. I would stand in empty rooms or rooms that I had just trying to parse some few things together as a possible guest room when people would visit. And I would stand in the entryway and I would look and imagine what that room would look like if I ever had children that could fill it. And I would cry because I would realize I'm never going to have kids to fill this parsonage. And I would beg God to please heal me and to take this from me and to make this better because I just felt so alone in this empty cavern of a massive parsonage. And God did heal me, just not in the way I expected. God, as I've shared before, led me to click some heresy on Facebook about gay affirming churches. Yay! <laughs> and reading it set me free. And the spirit guiding me to that liberated me in so many ways that um, have led me to, to, to this place where I am today. And ultimately, ultimately, it is for me the spirit that comforted me in all those places and those empty homes and quiet spaces and feelings of abandonment from both God and from my father in those places that I also think about the story of the disciples and how they felt that deep feeling after Jesus left and how when Jesus was even preparing them for him to leave and, and he says these words to him, he says, remember this, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will send my spirit and it will comfort you and it will guide you into all truth. And that comforted the disciples and gave them courage in a way that prepared them for the spirit to then come and to embody something for them that I feel like I have carried with me over my last, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly how old I am, but over, you know, quite a little bit here. And I'm excited to know that that spirit continues to guide with me in the days ahead. So as we approach Pentecost to next week, um, I want to invite us all to consider in the middle of this series some questions about the Holy Spirit. I've shared with you a little bit of my own experiences with the Spirit, so I want to ask you, what were you taught about the Spirit? What things were you taught? And I want you to maybe answer that to yourself in whatever way, or you can have some like, you know, shallow, small talk over Life Memorial Day weekend with friends and family about it. Or maybe your answer to that question is, I wasn't really taught anything about the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but at, let me ask you, as you think about that, ask yourself, what has been true? What has been comforting? What has been good? How might your life and others' lives be changed if we learn to sort of tune our hearts again to the whispers of the Holy Spirit? I think that if we can be more sensitive to that, and, and the whispers of this Holy Spirit don't have to be some, you know, odd, weird, abstract thing. For me, the whispers of the Spirit are simply... I just listen to what my soul and my heart and my mind is telling me. And I discern, is that fear or is that the spirit? Is that anxiety or is that the courage the spirit's calling me into? Simply that. Sometimes I think in progressivism, it's hard to embrace the spirit, right? Because it seems so odd. Um, it's abstract and it's weird and it can't be measured and we can't quite figure it out. Um, sometimes it's weird because so many times the spirit has been used and abused to hurt us 
be people who are like, oh, well, the Spirit told me. And you're like, well, the Spirit told me. And you're like, well, which spirits are you listening to? You know, and if it was my dad, I knew what spirits it was listening to. And so it was easier to discern. But it's not always that easy to figure those things out. And so sometimes we just dismiss all of it because we just can't make sense of any of it. But let me tell you this. Every spiritual gift, every uh, ability can be used for good or evil. People have often said, well, I don't believe in all these other weird supernatural gifts because they're so often abused. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I've seen the gift of teaching abused so much more than any of these other things. I've seen the gift of encouragement manipulated and used in prayer circles, okay? All of the gifts, every gift that the Spirit gives and brings, every gift that we embody, it can be used and abused whether you can measure it or not. And so let us chew on the meat and spit out some bones today. One of my favorite stories of the work of the Holy Spirit is the story of the first Gentile sexual minority convert to Christianity. That's going to be the title of my first book. And, <laughs> and this beautiful story is this sort of picture of uh, Philip, who's an apostle, on a journey, and his paths cross with this uh, Ethiopian treasurer who happens to also be a eunuch. And this eunuch has just returned from his journey to go and worship at the Temple Mount, the Jewish Temple Mount in, in Israel, Palestine. And, and he's wrestling with what this passage means that he's reading while he sits in this chariot from Isaiah. And as he's on this journey, I think it's important to, to note that the story tells us that he's a eunuch, I think, for a very distinct reason. A eunuch, um, oftentimes, in this, in this time, if you were a eunuch, you could either be someone who was choosing a life of celibacy, or sometimes, if in this situation, um, the treasurer worked for the queen and was her treasurer. And most often in these situations and circumstances, this person who was the treasurer was groomed from a young child, and often it was a family line. Um, uh, so I'm sorry, often it was uh, not a family line. It was, it was often like how Pharisees and Sadducees were often chosen by elect to be able to be mentored and taught. Um, same thing would happen with a very young treasurer uh, who would serve the royalty so that they would be completely devoted and have no other ties. And what they would do is, so that the treasurer did not cross-pollinate with royalty, because they didn't come from royalty, they would castrate. And they would take that as a young child, that would happen. And then they would groom them to serve the queen, and they would ensure that they would never have a family, and they would never cross-pollinate with any of the royalty in the palace that they lived in. It's very possible that that is exactly what happened to this eunuch. It's also possible that they chose a life of celibacy. Jesus acknowledges both people groups, actually. In Matthew chapter 19, he says this, Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let anyone who accepts this, who can. Uh, a lot of times, uh, folks who are gender nonconforming, uh, sometimes folks who, who are, are, are asexual, they sometimes identify with these sort of acknowledgments and stories and experiences of eunuchs during this time and feel seen in this fact that, that Jesus actually acknowledges a sexual minority group uh, and a gender minority group. I think it's important when we, when we, when we, when we think about this to realize that um, so often these people groups are forced to the margins. And that is exactly what happened, not just within Christianity, but within Judaism. So if you were a eunuch, you were absolutely not welcomed within the Jewish life of faith. And this eunuch, who had made the journey to the Jewish temple to worship, first, he's a Gentile, so he would only have been allowed so far into the temple. And second, he's a eunuch, so he for sure would have been kept a few feet more back. Because in the Jewish community, if you were a eunuch, you were not considered a part of the community because you could not contribute to the free, fruitful and multiply mandate that God had given. 
And you could not be, be a part of ushering in the possible seed that would bring the Messiah. And so you were often excluded. And so in the midst of all of this craziness and everything that's happening, you have this eunuch who's gone to the temple to try to worship. He, he's, he's trying to sort of figure out where his place is in the communities of faith. And he's, he's just returned. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Philip crossed paths with him as he's sitting in his chariot. And look at the story where it picks up here in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up in the carriage and sit with him. And so Philip climbs in and he has this whole conversation with him. And I, I wonder if he, if, he, if he kind of feels out like why this guy is even interested in faith. I mean, reality is, is like I just shared, he would have been excluded from the community of faith. So why all of a sudden is he interested in this people group? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I know I'm not welcomed in a certain space or place, I'm just like, that's cool. Bye. I don't need you. You don't need me. I'll just go our separate ways. Like, I'm not going to put myself through this trauma anymore. But for some reason, he's seeming to put himself in a place and space where he historically would not have been welcomed. I wonder if, remember, this story takes place after Jesus' death after Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus' ascension, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, I wonder if he had begun to hear that there was a Christian movement, there was a sect within Judaism where all people were welcomed, where people who had been originally excluded were welcomed to come into the community of faith. I wonder if he had heard the stories of other Gentiles or Samaritans or tax collectors or, or sex workers or enslaved people groups or women or eunuchs or divorced people or, or other pagans and Romans that were all of a sudden welcomed into the community of faith after for so long being told that they didn't belong and weren't allowed to be a part of that faith. I wonder if for the first time he's like, oh, I, maybe, maybe I could be welcomed. So he goes to the temple. And he gets there and he doesn't understand what's happening and all the bells and the whistles and the sounds and the smells and he's confused. And so he starts reading the book of Isaiah to try to figure this out on his way back. And, and upon figuring it out, Philip crossed paths with him. And he's like, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you help me figure this out? And Philip, saying yes to this invitation, does exactly that. He helps him figure it out. What I, what I want you to stop for and think, if you don't catch anything else in the sermon, this is sort of like the big takeaway. This is the crux. This is the part of the sermon I want you to catch. So if you're like tuning back in, kind of come back, come back to earth, this is it, okay? This is a beautiful passage that, that he is reading in the, right here out of Isaiah. It's a prophecy, and he doesn't understand it. And what I think is fascinating is that I think he sees himself in the text when he reads it. Historically, this text would have been understood by early uh, Jewish leaders as they're talking about the, the people of Israel, that they had been led astray and slaughtered by Babylonians and by Greeks and now by the Romans and the Assyrians, and that Jesus, or the Messiah, I should say, the Messiah would be coming and would be redeeming them. That would be a historical understanding. Now, Christians at that time would have started reading Isaiah and being like, Jesus is the one who's going to deliver us from all these things. But I think that as he reads this passage in Isaiah, he actually sees himself. Let's catch why. Look, read this with me. Not aloud, just in your hearts. <laughs> the, <clears throat> the passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, you seeing it? He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? Are you seeing it? For his life was lifted up from the earth. 
Let's just look at it. If he was reading this passage on this chart, I want to show you, how might he found parallels? When he read, led like a sheep to the slaughter, he likely thought about himself being castrated as a young man and being groomed for this role. Silent before the shears, he had no say in the direction of his life or this decision. Humiliated and received no justice, laughed at and excluded and no justice for his lot in life. Who can speak of his descendants? He can never have children. For his life was taken from the earth. This passage is understood that Jesus' life was, was taken but then lifted up. And so this passage highlights that, that perhaps this was all taken from him but he can still be lifted up. That he can still be lifted up out of this place and included in the life and the community of faith. The traditional understanding of this passage um, is interesting, yes, and it's maybe great and helpful and our Christian understanding of often we read that and we think of Jesus. But what if, what if as he read this, he thought of himself? He thought of himself and all that he had suffered and had to go through. What if he thought how the queen of Ethiopia had used her power to strip him of his and the religious leaders were using their little nuggets of power left to keep him out? What if as he read this, he thought to himself that that was him? That perhaps the passage was talking about him. I wonder if he thinks that because look what it says in verse 34. He says to Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? I wonder if if he reads that, he thinks, is he talking about me? Is he talking about him? Who's he talking about? Because that feels like it's just like hitting home goes on in verse 35. It says, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him about the good news about Jesus. I wonder if Philip had seen the connections and as he shared, he made those connections, I wonder. Verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down the water and Philip baptized him. I sort of imagine them sitting in this, in this carriage in this moment and Philip saying like, I know that you've been through it. I know life has been hard. I know that you've been historically eliminated from communities of faith, but I want to tell you about someone else who also knows so many of the things you're feeling. I want to tell you about a Jesus who understands what it's like to suffer, what it's like to be rejected by your own people, what it's like to be even rejected by outcast, other outcasts. I want to tell you about a Jesus to, who, who you can look to who was also rejected by royalty and who was often told by royalty and religious leaders that he was unacceptable and unholy because of who he was. I want to tell you about a Jesus who understands what you've gone through and knows what it's like to be without child or spouse. I, know, I want to tell you about a Jesus who knows what it's like to be destined for a life of suffering and exclusion even before your birth. I want to tell you about a Jesus who knows what it was like to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. I want to tell you about a Jesus who knows what it's like to be humiliated by no fault of your own and worse yet to have received no justice and no for all of the evil and unjust acts against you. I wonder if as he sat there he considered the ways in which Jesus was like him and all of a sudden Jesus came alive to him. I wonder if I wonder more than that if Philip helped him see the Imago Dei perhaps for the very first time in himself. And perhaps for the very first time, even though the world had told him that he was of no value to God or to the community of faith, that for the first time Philip helped him see, no, you identify and God identifies with you. You are included and our God knows your story. He was 
given no value, no worth, often because he couldn't have children or reproduce and his life was hard. And reality is, is that happens still in our communities of faith today. Women who choose, or people who identify as women also, choose to not have children. Or people who choose to never get married or never do find the person they want to marry and they're told that somehow they have less value or worth in the community of faith because of that. So often this still happens in our churches today. An unfortunate reality that I think people unknowingly or unneedingly suffer. You know where this story began though, don't you? You know where the story of inviting someone into the community of faith who would have been a sexual gender minority of the time? It started in verse 29 that we read. It said this, Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside that carriage. A simple whisper. And Philip responded. Philip could have just said, I'm going to do other things. I've got errands. I've got groceries to get. Like, I'm not doing this today. Or I'm not going anywhere near that carriage. You do know the people in power are trying to kill new people like us who are spreading this faith, right? Like, I'm not going there. Or those people are going to pity me if I do that. I'm just walking alongside the road and you want me to just go up to this carriage? I don't know who's in there. I don't know what's happening. But he doesn't. He responds to the whispers and the promptings of the Spirit. And the response to that, the response to the whispers of the Spirit leads this first Gentile sexual gender minority to be the first convert of Christianity in this way. And we have this beautiful story of someone of a wider and broader welcome. So let me ask this question as we land this plane. What chariots do you hear the Holy Spirit prompting you to walk alongside? What people do you know who've been excluded that need someone to walk alongside them and tell them, no, 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 Jesus does include you. I don't know matter what you've been told, let me tell you about a Jesus that does include you. When I first became United Methodist, uh, I was only Methodist for a stint and period of time as I came out of evangelicalism. I wanted to become a member at the Methodist Church, and I asked, how do I become a member? And they said, well, you have to be baptized. And I said, okay, well, I was baptized when I was much younger. And they said, okay, well, then we don't, we're no, you know, we don't need to re-baptize you any, or anything. So when you come forward to become a member, we will just simply take a basin of water, and we will place some water on your forehead and we will remind you of your baptism. We will not rebaptize you. And I thought, okay, that, that's interesting. And I came forward and I didn't expect the welling of emotions to come. And I think it mostly came because of the words they spoke over me. As they put water on my head and reminded me of my baptism, these two pastors, the very first two pastors that journeyed with me after I came out of evangelicalism, said these words over me. They said, there is no church, there is no pronouncement or announcement that can ever be said that will ever annul your baptism. You are loved, will always be loved. No person and no hate and no church can ever take this from you. Be reminded of your baptism. And as my tears mixed with the waters of baptism going down my face, I was so grateful to be in a church where they could see my belovedness and where they assured me that my baptism was not a work of any man or woman, but it was simply the work of God in my life and that no one could take that from me and that they didn't even see a need to redo it. And that was a gift to me and it grounded me in a time when I felt so afraid that perhaps I had lost it and needed it back again. I had never lost the spirit 
I had never lost my belovedness. People just lost sight of it. We're going to be doing a baptism service um, this summer at some point, somewhere near a body of water. And there are many of us who I know have expressed they would like to be baptized. And there are others of us who maybe we don't want to get rebaptized, but I invite you to come to that service. And we're going to have a basin of water. And we want to remind you of your baptism. We want to remind you of your love and your belovedness. There's others of us in the church here who've said um, that, that they identify as transgender or gender nonconforming and they don't identify with their given name anymore and so they want you to choose a new name and they want to be baptized with their new name. Yeah. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, whatever you're trying to figure out, um, we invite you to engage this practice. And if you're trying to figure out what baptism or, or baptism means, like I said, like Vanita, Vanita said earlier, I've written a blog about it. But baptism is simply the same thing that I think it was for Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, all that happened was the skies opened and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think baptism is simply a moment for you and the community of faith to acknowledge you're God's kid. God loves you, not disappointed in you. Actually, kind of really likes you. <laughs> Doesn't just like love you, but kind of likes you. <laughs> Baptism is a moment just to say, God loves you. God loves me. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. And God is so pleased with who we are. It's an, it's an outward expression of an inward moment to feel a shift in our bodies and as a community, as a symbol. So church, are we embracing the whispers of the Spirit? Are we allowing the Spirit to lead us to interpret scriptures to folks like this eunuch whom the scriptures want to exclude and marginalize? Are you embracing the whispers of the Spirit, calling us to bandage the wounds of, of zealous religious leaders who have sheared people from the communities of faith? Let us press in, church. Let us press in to the same Spirit that was promised to never leave us or forsake us. Let us embrace the whispers of the Spirit wherever and to whomever she may lead. Amen? amen and amen. Those of you who are watching online, we invite you to uh, share in the, in the comments any joys or hopes you may have. And if you're watching in the house uh, and you want to pull the live stream up, obviously you're watching in the house, uh, feel free to pull the live stream up and add any hopes or joys you have and we'll come back together in just a moment and, and share those together as a community. Would you pray with me as we take just a few moments? Holy Spirit, thank you for your invitation to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that we don't have to ask you to be with us or to go with us or to give us traveling mercies. All we have to do is ask you to help us be more aware of it because you already promised to always be with us. So would you help us to know that for those of us who feel like you're far, for those of us who doubt or wonder or wander in empty, quiet homes, help us to find you in those places. Help us to find the comfort of your spirit Help us to tune our hearts and our minds to the whispers of your spirit. And would you give us the courage to listen and to walk alongside whatever chariots you call us to, that we too may share in the liberation of all people, that all people may see that they and know that they are made in the image of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come and do your work and have your way among us. In the name of the Holy Parent, the Holy Child, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.